Hello and welcome to the Brentas Foundation podcast, where we throw light on some of the African continent's biggest and most pressing issues and leverage best practice, not just on what to do, but how to do it. I'm your host, Marino Ongoklo, and it's a pleasure to share in this moment with you. If you're new here, welcome. It's nice to have you here. If you're a regular, hey, how's it going? So this is the podcast where I share a lot of the super interesting conversations I have with really cool people. I'm a firm believer and sharing ideas that shape and challenge the world as we know it. My hope is that these conversations where you get to be a fly on the wall start further and deeper conversations wherever you are and lead to the exploring of actions and ideas that actually work and make a difference. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Again, I'm Marie Noel and you're listening to the Brentas Foundation Podcast. Today's a special episode, actually. During a recent trip to West Africa, Dr. Greg Mills, director of the Brentas Foundation, and Amanda Dory, director of the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, interviewed former president of Nigeria, Olusegun Obasanjo, in Abiyokuta, Nigeria. So this isn't originally part of the legacy series that I host, but the conversations align with exactly what we're trying to get with that, hence a part of the series. In this chat, President Obasanjo explains how he convinced his military peers on the importance of moving towards democracy, the issues he experienced during his time in power, as well as a final message from military leaders contemplating a coup today. It's topical to say the least. Former President of Nigeria, Olusegun Obasanjo. President Obasanjo served as Nigeria's military ruler from 1976 to 79 and as a civilian president, 1999 to 2007. He has a distinguished military career, including serving in the 1957 UN peacekeeping mission to Congo and receiving the instrument of surrender on behalf of the Nigerian government from the opposing forces in the Nigerian Civil War in 1970. He currently serves as the AU High Representative for the Horn of Africa region, among other positions, including, I should mention, Board Chairman of the Brentas Foundation. In 2008, President Obasanjo was appointed by the United Nations as a special envoy for Africa and has since overseen democratic elections on behalf of the African Union and ECOWAS in countries across the continent. With more than 30 books in print covering various topics, he pursues a passion for conflict resolution, mediation and development through multiple institutions. And now, let's head over to the chat with President Obasanjo. President Bassinger, thank you very much uh, for agreeing to this interview. What we're particularly interested in is your transitions to democracy. So, from the, the one at the end of the 1970s, and of course the one at the end of the 1990s. How were you able to convince your military peers of the imperative of moving towards democracy at the end of the 70s? Now, the, the, the military wants the taste power. It's really not very easy to win them off power. But they are also conscious. And you know, the military is a hierarchical uh, organization. They are always conscious of what the leader uh, is doing or saying. They, wa they watch both the lips and the dancing steps of the leader. And of course, 
I made it absolutely clear that in my first time, that is um, when we left government in 1979, I made it clear to all the uh, military leaders, the head of the army, the head of the navy, the head of the police, the head of the air force, that there's no going back. And um, I remember my head of uh, security, who came to me one day and said, sir, I know you, in your planning, you never don't leave out anything. What is your uh, wet weather alternative? If everything does not work, you've done everything and it doesn't work, I said I had no wet weather alternative. It has to work. If I had told him that I had wet weather alternative, they would probably have walked onto towards the wet weather alternative. And um, of course, we were going on. Uh, the youngest among us was Shehu uh, Yaradwa, who was my number two politically but number four or five militarily, uh, he wanted to stay. And I said, no, you can't. Um, once you have uh, been in political power at that level, um, you cannot stay. So we all had to go. Even my head of the army, who wanted to go ahead of us, said, look, I want to go. I said, no, you can't go now. We will all go together. So uh, I, I believe the issue is that the preparation was non-negotiable, not being debated, it's given. It's given. Um, and then, of course, we did everything uh, uh, to, to show to the country and uh, among ourselves that this is what we are doing, this is what the country requires, and we are not looking back or going back. That's what we did. The second, the second one, um, which is taking over from the military, and uh, it's another transition. Uh, uh, when I came in, I came back in 1999. Uh, there were three major problems for me then. The first is how do we stop coups? It has become like. Uh, Amchia theater, and one goes, another one comes, another. That was a problem. The second problem was the problem of uh, debt. We were heavily uh, in debt. How do we handle this? And the third one was the division within the country. Um, well, the three of them needed attention. The first one to, that I paid attention to was how to stop coup. So I got 93 officers who have benefited from coups or taken part in coups who are still in the army, either they have been military governor or whatever. So I got them out. Um, of course, they didn't have warning. If they had warning, I would have been the one out. 
rather than they being out. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was that I was convinced that we could not sustain what we are spending to uh, service debt. So I embarked on going around the world to seek debt relief. Eventually, we got it. And then, of course, as far as the uh, division, uh, tribal, religious, uh, uh, cultural uh, was concerned, well, once we start uh, taking measures to make it all-inclusive, uh, people who have felt excluded or, or not inside the ruling um, power uh, felt, oh yes, we are now being part of it. So uh, we, 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 are, we were, so by the, by my second, uh, by the time I finished my first term, um, um, people have seen that coup will not be, will not pay. Um, we, are work, we were working on uh, debt relief, uh, and I brought Ngozi um, in, who understood um, at that time, and I believe he still, she still understands the international uh, financial uh, uh, playing ground and how to how to make it. Um, so while I was talking to people at the head of government level, um, I made her to be talking to people at the level of those who make things happen, ministers, director generals. Um, because what I found in my first term is that I talked to people, head of government, presidents, and prime ministers. Oh, you have a case. Oh, your point is clear, and nothing followed. And when I went to Wolfgang the um, uh, president of World Bank, I said, look, you said you will help me. You are not helping. So what more can I do to help you? I told you that if you are doing well, we will write good report. And you seem to be doing well, and we are writing good report. Go and get hold of your creditors. And when I got hold of our creditors, they did what they should do. Excellency. Moving beyond the Nigeria example, what lessons learned do you think there are from your experience that would apply to other countries who have the opportunity to move from military rule to civilian rule? Well, I don't know what we'll do. Well, no two countries are the same. I think that's the first thing to um, agree. For instance, when in 1979 I made up my mind that I was leaving, there were leaders in Africa, President Kaunda came to me and said, look, now you shouldn't leave um, because you will create a vacuum. President Hofupoy of Côte uh, d'Ivoire uh, said the same thing to me. Um, the uh, military leader in, in Somalia, he died in, here in Nigeria, Sadbare, uh, uh, came to me and said the same thing. But I said to them, look, 
in this part of the world, and by my own upbringing and training, both uh, at home and my military training, your word should be your bond. I have given my word. Um, and uh, even when uh, I have left and uh, some military boys came to me and said, look, you see, you cause a mess by leaving. Um, uh, you have to come back. I said, get out of here. You know, don't ask me to come back. In my part of the world, when you go to a place and you say, good evening, and then they say, oh, yes, good evening, and you have done what you want to do, and you say, good night. You don't go back the same evening and say, good evening again. Good night is good night. And um, that happened. I, I, I thought uh, my uh, brother and friend will put uh, a flicker, will try to do, uh, he, he tried to do a number of things the way I was doing. For instance, he sought debt, debt relief. Uh, he didn't succeed. He, uh, he was trying to also consolidate on his tra uh, transition. Uh, he didn't quite make it. Um, well, for instance, Rawlings went about it a different way. He converted himself to military, uh, to uh, 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 president, uh, in, in civilian president. And, uh, but I, I believe that each country must uh, find out and figure out uh, how best to go about it. But here, well, of course, they came back, the military came back, um, and after they came back, after my own interregnum for 20 years, I came back, um, and then I learned my lesson that, look, we have to deal with the issue of uh, recurrent good details. And, uh, so can I ask a question about the big man thesis? So there are those who say it's easier to get things done when you are a military head of state or you operate an authoritarian system because you don't have to abide by the rules. You make up your own rules. <coughs> Excuse me. From your experience as a military head of state um, to one as a democratically elected head of state, were there particular constraints that existed as a de democratically elected head of state that you you uh, were free of during your time as the military head of state? Well, What's not, your advice to not, 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 not really. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the thing is that you have to understand your country. Um, here in Nigeria, we are a diverse nation, and diversity is really our mark, our trademark. And in any uh, diverse nation, I believe nothing works better than democracy. Because you will talk, um, you will negotiate where negotiation is, you will dialogue where it should be dialogued, 
you will persuade where you have to persuade. You will, uh, so that, that is the beauty for me of democracy, that um, there's interaction. Um, it, it makes things a bit slower than it will have been uh, if uh, you are. But it makes things more stable than it would be under. You see, people will probably uh, comply when you uh, apply questions, but it's better you get them to do it more willingly than doing it under pressure of fear of death, fear of uh, imprisonment and all that. Well, I was put in prison because I, I, I won't keep my mouth shut. But uh, it hasn't stopped me uh, from still keeping, not keeping my mouth shut. Uh, and any government since um, I left as an elected president, any government that had wanted, that would have wanted to put me in jail, could have put me in jail again. Uh, because I never keep my mouth shut. That's one uh, unfortunate weakness in, in me. Uh, and, um, and it's too late for me to keep my mouth shut because for me, I believe it is, uh, um, if I see what is wrong and I don't talk about it or I don't do something about it, I'm an, I'm, I'm, I'm an accomplice in the crime and God forbids that. You know. So that's my own position. Excellency, can you say a little bit more about how you persuaded military officers, senior military officers, that it was time to step aside? I think you mentioned you had to fire a few, but did you have a mix of carrots and, and sticks? No, no. The, the, the ones that I fired, I fired them not as a military man. I fired them when I have become elected civilian. Um, well, my military background was helpful because I knew that once an officer is out of uniform, it's like a, fi like a fish out of water. Um, so, and uh, on a Friday, I got their list on a th uh, Thursday. On a Friday by 12 noon, I said, you are retired and you must get out of uh, barrack. Now, uh, they had to get out of barrack that uh, same Friday. Uh, uh, Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> there's not much they, 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 they could do. Uh, but if I have allowed them to get the wind of what I was going to do, they would have made sure that it was. The, the, the difficulties of managing government, of establishing government, or the, the different challenges, were they markedly different being in uniform as they were to being a civilian? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, a lot of difference. Uh, for, for instance, um, making government uh, in a military regime, uh, you know the officers. Even if you don't know them, you can ask for their report. Um, or if somebody recommends an officer, you can. But when I came back in 1999, I had to, uh, first of all, obey 
the Constitution, which says I must take minister from each of the 36 states of the country. Now, I was out of uh, I was just out of prison uh, a year. Or, in fact, I was a year less one week when I was uh, I was sworn in. Um, now, those people who were in my party, I didn't know many of them. But that is the way it went. And you remember when we went to Aburi, uh, when Nana invited us, um, and we had all his ministers, I whispered to him at his stage, stage I said, well, your ministers, there are about three or four of them that I wouldn't take as ministers. He said, yes, I agree with you. I know them. But you know in this uh, thing, um, some of them you have to patronize them because either of their constituency or their place in the party and all that. But you have that. So my first... Uh, formation of uh, government, I would say not entirely in my hand. My second one was completely entirely in my hand. Um, that was why I was able to bring the like of uh, Ngozi. Um, so I have to ask this, and it's a little bit of an unfair question, but you're in the hot seat. Um, if you had a message for an African military leader contemplating a coup, Right now, what would it be? I would say, please don't. First, the uh, AU will not countenance it. So I will say, yes, and of course, I went to Satome Principe. Yeah. Now, the president was here, and then they said they had had a coup. Then I spoke to the major, who said he was in charge of the coup, and I said, look, you will not uh, accept what you have done. I'm bringing your president back. And I, pres I took the president there. And, then, well, and I said, why do you carry out a coup? He said, well, we have some grievances. I said, okay, now your president has come back. You put your grievances to him, he will look into it. And I left the president there. The president completed his job. And there had not been coup. That brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. I love, love learning new things. Hey, if you enjoyed this chat, you definitely enjoy others that came before it. Check out previous episodes on whichever platform you're tuned into now or visit our website www.thebrentersfoundation.org for other episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if I could make one last ask of you, please do share this with others. Again, you're listening to Marie Noel on the Brentus Foundation podcast and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Until next week, stay well.